podcast fam, what is up? Do we have a fantastic show for you today? This is episode 120, a mastermind on finances. And we are bringing you four outstanding individuals that study and know moolah, baby. Let's go. On today's show, we have Sherman Merricks of the Matrimony and Money podcast, Stephen Corson of Everything Money, Andrea Ramos of Building Gen Wealth, and Joe Lowry Jr. of Lowry Financial Advisors. And on today's episode, we get into where did their passions for money come from? Is there such thing as good debt? Asking for a raise? Should you hire a financial advisor? Human behavior behind money and so much more, baby. Enjoy the show. You are listening to WHOA Podcast. Coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast. The podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. We should do that all the time. That was time, really cool. Yeah. I had like completely spontaneous. I had no idea how that was going to work, but hey, it worked out well. Uh, I am your host, Colin Austin. My co-host is Michael D. How excited are you for today, man? I am stoked about today because we're going to talk about money. What's what's better to talk about than money? Right? <laughs> uh, something I don't really know that much about. Honestly, right. I've been we're, learning a lot this year. We're going like, to learn a lot about money today. Yeah, COVID has definitely been one of those like wake ups. It's like, whoa, you need to manage your money better. Um, so I'm super excited to get into this episode. But you guys, before we do. Let me tell you, podcast fam, have you noticed those blue Collier's International signs all over Gainesville? Those are the signs of progress, my friends. Um, GNV Commercial Advisors with Collier's International is the region's top commercial real estate team. When you need to buy or sell commercial real estate, uh, you got lands or buildings, find a new space for your business, or lease out a property that you own, turn to GNV Commercial Advisors. They close more than 60 deals a year, y'all. And you mentioned COVID already, but let's talk about how the coronavirus has impacted your business. Maybe you've realized you need a different kind of office space or you have questions about your lease options. Maybe you've been thinking about buying or selling a commercial property, but you're not sure when to act. I mean, who does? Well, (laughs) call the GMV Commercial Advisors team at Collier's International. They have the expertise and the local experience to help you make the right decision for your commercial real estate needs. You guys, check out all of their services at colliers.com slash Gainesville. Thank you, GNV Commercial Advisors team at Colliers International for all your support. They've been a huge support of ours. Huge, huge. This yeah. year. I mean, per, throughout the entire Super year. Super grateful for them. Um, going back all the way to the coronavirus sessions. Right, we yeah. did a lot of those. So, mad love to those guys for their support and for making this show happen. And we are getting right into it. You guys, today on the show, we have four outstanding individuals that have a passion for finances. We're talking money today, you guys. Money, 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 money. If you have listened to any of our previous episodes, you know that my my goal is to get myself out of debt. Sherm's been one of my like lead go-to. I've been playing on Facebook Messenger, talking, having these conversations with him. I get notifications every time you and Sherman talk now. It's just like, oh, cool. Let me see what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and, and to get the business out of debt. That's been a huge goal of mine. Um, Something that has had we've had multiple conversations about here and uh and i can't wait to dive further into this amazing mastermind like we said we're doing a mastermind every 10 episodes this is episode 120 baby and i was like all right well let's talk finances let's make it happen um so first but 
Before we get into the show, we're gonna have our guests go around one by one and uh, just introduce themselves, who they are, what their business is, why they're passionate about money. Just give us like 60 to 90 seconds and we'll let ladies go first because she's the most nervous. Hold <laughs> <laughs> out. Uh, hey everyone, my name is Andrea and I am the CEO and founder of Building Gen Wealth. It is a financial education um, company designed specifically to help women of color start building generational wealth. Do you mind if I call you out just a little more? Yeah, sure. Andre, well, I mean, not like really call out, but <laughs> so everybody knows because oh, yes, I have a little yes. bit of a playful, we both have a little bit of a playful nature with Andrea. Andrea uh, worked on our team for quite a while. So she's a former NSRL team member and uh, somebody that we like try to drag back every once in a while, <laughs> but doing amazing things out there. So it's super excited to have her back. I am Sherman Merricks. I own Dynasty CrossFit, which is where we help people get in great shape. And I own Lasso, which is a sales and marketing firm where we also help businesses get in great shape financially with all of their marketing help. Then I do this finance thing on the side where I just help people. Is the finance, the finance thing is like a side hustle? Yeah, it's definitely like just a side a, hustle. This is just like a, it's something that I'm passionate about. I, you know, I do some stuff, help some people. Um, I'm not in it like like that, not full time and But you have the matrimony and money podcast. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. It's definitely like it's definitely You're, somebody's joy. Stop being so humble, man. It's definitely like, somebody's joy. He's like practicing humility. But, but right I don't now. make a ton of money from it, so that's why I really just say it's it's more of a hobby yeah, type thing. Yeah. I mean, so just so everybody who's listening, we've had we had Sherman on the podcast before. We dove into the business and all sorts of stuff. It was it was excellent. And uh, but one of the things we touched on was finances. Yeah. And we're like, dude, we got to dive deeper into this. This yeah. would be a lot of fun. Um, but you you go Facebook Live. You do a lot of these things, and you talk a lot about a lot of these subjects. And every time you do, I'm like zeroed in. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to Mike. I'm like, did you see what Sherman talked about today? <laughs> well, I'm excited today because all these guys are like definitely. In it, like they make money from it, so like me, I'm not. I can say whatever I want to say. So like, I'm excited to like just like do it. So yeah, I'm excited. Awesome, I'm excited. I'm I'm the most heavily regulated person here. So <laughs> I have to be careful what I say. But um, but my name is Joe Lowry Jr. I'm the managing partner of Lowry Financial Advisors. We're a financial planning and investment management firm. I've been uh, here uh, working in that capacity in Gainesville since 2002. Work in partnership with my father, who's been in the business for a bit longer than that. And uh, we work with individuals and families and businesses. And uh, yeah, financial planning is our focus. Awesome. All right, Stephen Corson here. I am the guy that he called after he couldn't get a hundred other people on. So I uh, start, I'm the one here who's probably still in corporate sales, but I have a side company that I will eventually be transitioning to full-time called Everything Money. And that is a media conglomerate. It is basically focused on getting media and training out to people for financial education and uh, meeting them in both small businesses. And our target is also kids that are seniors in high school about to make big decisions about college and different things like that. So excited exactly. to be here. Is that the, gonna be the name of your podcast too? Cause you're- The podcast is actually gonna be the name of, uh, or is going to be called the Stephen Corson Show. So by the time this episodes, it'll be up and live. But- um, the, Where'd you come up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one of those, you know, just long night, a lot of drinking and creativity just struck. Yeah. <laughs> you looked at your driver's license and you're like, oh. just in the mirror and oh, the Stephen Corson, I just feel like there's gotta be something here. And, Let's go. There it is. So, you know, 
know, am I the smartest, you know, best, well-branded person here? Uh, history will decide. <laughs> uh, great. Well, you know, like I said, I want this to really, I just re- really want to get into a discussion about finances, money. Like, I'm really curious just kind of like where the passion came from, you know, to start. So, you know, Andrea, where did you develop this passion for what you do? Um, I think it was like just graduating college, having my first job, not really knowing like what I was supposed to be doing with money and kind of just figuring it out along the way. Um, But I think my financial journey started when I graduated and actually wanted to leave Gainesville because I was like, I want to go to Austin, Texas because that's like the scene and I want to move there and it didn't end up happening. So I ended up staying and I worked here, which is great, great, great. (laughs) But part of me was like, man, like I still, like I still want to (laughs) go. I like how you did that. (laughs) Multiple greats just to make sure. It was so great. (laughs) No, but it was, it was a great experience. Looking back, I'm like, man, like it really was a good time um, of like learning and building and just like growing. but my my financial my first financial goal ever was very arbitrary. It was like, all right, I need to make ten thousand dollars, or I need to save ten thousand dollars, so that I can go to California because that was like my next big move. <laughs> um, so I just started really tracking my finances and saving every every paycheck, and you know, kind of just making it work with an entry level salary. And so I realized, like, wow, I am not making like a whole lot of money, but I'm able to save a lot. Um, and so it really helped me understand like, oh, if you can develop a system um, to really, you know, make your finances work for you, you really can do a lot. So from there, um, it's kind of just been a progression of growing and learning. Um, And it also, throughout my journey, learned that it really is about the system, not so much about the income level, because I ended up making more in my career. And because I like kind of fell into lifestyle creep, I ended up saving less with more money than I did when I was making less and I saved more. So it was so interesting, like understanding, wow, there's an emotional and a logical side to money. And that just kind of got me passionate about like wanting to share with everyone and specifically helping like women, women of color, um, take their finances more seriously and be like really empowered with like their financial decisions and how they manage money and how they can invest and start building wealth, so. So what ways have you done that? Me? Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me it's been just kind of like setting up financial goals where I'm at now. Um, So in my personal finance journey, it was just kind of following like, I I started with Dave Ramsey, I know you're, followed him a lot. I just, I followed you. (laughs) (laughs) I followed No Debt Life, right? That's your page. so, um, so I started following Dave Ramsey, and so I did some of the baby steps. Um, so for me, it's been you know f- like starting that emergency fund, learning to invest, understanding the the basics of investing, understanding like what is what, really kind of demystifying that. I feel like a lot of times people feel like it's almost like this foreign language when really it's like, oh no, if you understand the basis of this trends and decades of history will like you'll end up building a lot of wealth. So for me right now it's um, investing in the market and uh, saving for my first like down payment. Okay, so what, what baby step are you on? Um, Do you know? Investing. So is that four? Sherm, I'm looking at Sherm like, uh, I feel like Sherm, do you know the baby steps you haven't memorized? Three to six month uh, savings is, that's, is, that's, that's three. That's, that's three, three right. So four is 15%. Yep. So yeah, be, so I followed it up to number three, um, but after that, 
I don't really feel like they'd super apply to me because I'm a millennial. So you're no Dave-ish. 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 because they don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Dave-ish. I guess. <laughs> Sorry, that's why yeah. I was like, uh, the, like these these are great steps, but I feel like for millennials, for women, there's a lot more that we could do. So we don't like I don't need to save for my kids college. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. been a it great career process. Cool. Who's up next? <laughs> but like, why, uh, like, just talk about passion. Yeah, yeah just talk about yeah. passion. Like, why? Like, why are you so passionate about it? Yeah. So for me, uh, growing up, I've always been passionate about keeping up with my finances. Uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Grew up with a single mom, so I always understood. Like, hey, money that you make, you better figure out how to keep it. Uh, I, I was blessed to grow up in an area where we had a a few uh, professional athletes, so that was pretty cool because I got to see like that type of lifestyle. But I also knew sort of the opposite end of that was that, hey, just because you have a lot of money now doesn't mean you're always going to keep a lot of money. So for me, uh, once I graduated from college, it was sort of just, all right, now, you know, sort of life begins. And I started, you know, getting my finances in order. But then I would notice that everyone, uh, I really hate that word, everyone around me, like they were just like living life, you know, leasing cars, buying stuff. And I'm like, there's no way they make that kind of money to buy that. (laughs) Like, there's no way. And then now I know they don't, right? I'm like my income is great, right? Um, but like, there's plenty of things that I could do that I don't. And I think that, like, she was saying, um, it's really about behavior. It's really not about your income and all of that stuff because there's a lot of people that make a ton of money, a quarter million dollars a year, but they spend three hundred thousand dollars a year. So it doesn't even matter. So for me. I just wanted to really empower people and see, so they can see, hey, you can build money regardless of how much money you make, right? Like, it'll be a little bit harder if you make 30 grand a year, absolutely, but you can do it, right? And uh, that's what really got me into it. Just from a young age, I knew that I was sort of in charge of my own destiny, so I needed to figure this thing out. And as you know, I'm an avid reader, so I started reading pretty much soon. I, it's funny, I started reading once I graduated from college. <laughs> <laughs> I really started reading about finances and stuff once I graduated from college, and now you know. Well, I, that's normal, right? I mean, you, you, you're going to invest time into what you're yeah. passionate about. Yeah, for right? sure. And, I, I wish it was normal, yeah. but it's really not. It's really like, not. If you look at the surveys, you know, very few adults read really read more than a book a year, if that. I think so. Yeah, you know, it. it yeah, so good. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and you had a, like a huge. You've had a huge accomplishment. So yeah. like, are you still on Baby Step Two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. almost done. You're almost. Done? I would have been done if it wasn't for COVID. It's what not COVID's fault, but it slowed me down. <laughs> yeah, so I paid off like 110 grand in like 13 months. Amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, it's awesome, and, man. And it, it was, you know, like things were going well before then, right? But I was, you know, I was trying to do too much. I was trying to invest and pay off this and uh, do this. So I was just like, man, just get focusing. Don't be Davish. Like, just do it, right? Like, like, just do it. And I did, and now, you know, I'll be done soon. And it, it was funny, though, because when I realized I had paid off 110 grand, I just sort of looked up, and I, let me add up some stuff. And I was like, oh, look at that. Like, that's what, that's what happens when we really focus. So for me, um, it's all about just really being focused on, like, one goal and knocking that off. Like I'm super goal oriented, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that works well for me, always have. So for me, like if I set a goal, I'm gonna achieve. It doesn't matter what it is, right? So for me, I know I wanna pay, pay off some stuff, um, school debt mainly, 
and uh, just be done with it. So yeah, paid off like 110 grand the last. I think it's about one, one thirty now. It's almost done, but dang man. Anyway, good for you. Yeah. So. So did you have any debt, Andrea? Mm-mm. No. No. Good for so, you. Winning from the start. Yeah. Well, not yeah, but like it wasn't like one of the the steps, but um, yeah. Cool. How about you guys? Have you guys had personal debt? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Plenty. Anything as high as a uh, hundred thirty thousand dollars? Oh, I got that beat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, mortgage, yeah, if you include the mortgage. Okay, yeah, yeah of course. Oh, I, I'm yeah. not including mortgage in that. Okay. Definitely gotta beat if we include the mortgage, but my it, technically it's not my fault, it's my wife's fault, so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. Uh-oh. Now, I mean, what's hers is mine, don't get me wrong, and unfortunately it worked the other way around too, but we did about, um, we did $265,000 of student loans in four years after we got Like married. all of it was student loans? All of it was student loans. She's a physician assistant and went to some very fancy colleges along the way. Got yeah. a fantastic education. That'll do it. And we paid yeah. for it. <laughs> so, but she has a great job now. We're very grateful for it. Um, but, but, you're at, but you're out now? I was debt free when we met with the exception of my mortgage. Um, and then when we were dating, before I'd even propose, I'd have a, like a very serious conversation with her about it because when she told me how much she had, I was like, oh damn, that's more than the house I'm living in right now. So <laughs> that I, and she wasn't living this crazy lavish life. She was just doing what any person who was in school for, you know, post postgraduate, she was in school for seven years. And she's like, well, I've worked hard. I've, I've, I'm making good money. I deserve to go shopping you know, once a month or something like that, or do whatever I want to do. And there was nothing wrong with that mentality. But my thing was, look, the life that I'm going to live is going to be to the beat of my own drum. And I can't do that with a dead anchor behind me, especially one that big. And she was, you know, right on board with me when we started talking about the life that we wanted to have together. And she went completely on board with it. And yeah, four years, we put just every dime that we had to it and boom, knocked it out. So was your passion driven from that or was it before? It was well before that. Yeah. Yeah. So where did your passion? So for me, very similar to Andres over here. So basically what ended up happening was uh, I accepted my job, graduated from the University of Florida or I was graduating. I was three months away from uh, graduating and I had the conversation with the HR manager, um, took a job with a company called Gartner. They do Mm -hmm. IT research and consulting. Had no idea what that was coming out of college, but was gonna do sales for them. (laughs) And uh, basically, you know, when I talked to the HR manager, speaking of different languages, like what you were talking, I had no idea what she was saying. I never felt so stupid in my life. She's sitting over here talking about things like 401ks, Roth IRAs, ESPPs, and like all this other crap that I'm sitting here like, what are you saying right now? And I'm just, she's like, yeah, so how much do you want to donate to that? And I'm like, what? So I freaked out and got really lucky. The only superpower I've ever really had, not particularly athletic, not particularly good looking, not particularly anything, but I do read like nobody's business. So I think I've been reading uh, 20 plus books a year for the past 10 years. And one of the first things I did was go to the bookstore and I got lucky. I just picked up the first book that seemed catchy and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that started my financial journey at that point. And then from there, uh, I missed, that was 2009, I had cash available, some amazing opportunities. I could have bought an apartment for 30 grand the, the, the owner was offering it to me in a great area. It was it just, I had no idea the opportunities that were presented to me and I missed a whole bunch. 
didn't realize that till two years later. And then I got on board with, I was like, I am never gonna miss a financial opportunity that's that obvious due to ignorance again. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that drove me. I, I know I'm not gonna hit every opportunity, investment opportunity, and that's fine, nobody does, but I'm never gonna hit one that's slapping me in the face that hard, you know, again. And that's really where things have come. And, you know, interestingly enough, what's got me to where I am now and starting everything money, I have a seven step process called lifestyle strategy. And the reason that I actually developed that was because I uh, used to be an FBU teacher, uh, Financial Peace University at our church. And after I had done all of these different readings and my own analysis and study, I just found that, you know, the, the baby steps don't line up for a lot of people. They didn't line up for me, you know, kind of like you, they didn't really line up for you. So I think there's people that can work for, the first four steps are, you know, like getting out of debt, emergency fund, all that, that's pretty universal. But when you start getting into saving for your kid's college fund, you know, there's a lot of disagreement out there about whether or not you should pay off your house versus putting that in cash flowing assets, different stuff like that. I decided I wanted to create something that not only gave a little more flexibility to the lifestyle that people want, but also taught people how to create a vision so that it would display purpose. Because a lot of programs out there, they just talk about numbers, and numbers are great, but I've been in sales for a long time. You know, there's a lot of psychology to it, and one thing that you realize with money is that money, I can teach somebody to be a millionaire in 30 minutes or less. It's not hard. I, I, I can give you the basic steps and you can get there. So why isn't everybody a millionaire if that's the case? Because it's about human behavior. We're not squirrels. We don't save more nuts than we can eat, right? We, we care about what our friends think. That's right. So we drive around in cars that we can't afford, right? That, that's it. <laughs> back so that, that was my driving. That was my driving factor. I've been working on it for the past three years and refining it. And that was it. It was how can I come up with a system that helps people put down on paper what's important to them, like truly important, and then set that into a goal, create a plan behind that goal, and then line up their finances in order to go achieve it. So that's been kind of what's driven me over the past few years to create everything money. That's cool, man. And at a, I'm gonna wanna come like circle back, especially to the rich dad, poor dad stuff, mm -hmm. because it's a completely, it's a different philosophy than the Dave Ramsey stuff, Correct. right? Mm -hmm. So that'll be, that'll be an interesting topic, but. Joe, like, how about you? Like, passion? Were you kind of like, I mean, with it being a, I mean, a family business, right? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I grew up in, in the business. Yeah. Uh, but I have this really vivid memory. I think I was 14, and I would, my dad in the summer would take us to the office to do stuff, you know, cool. make copies and file back when filing was a thing. <laughs> and copies were a thing. And, uh, uh, he sat me down, and I, you know, I was very fortunate. My my grandfather uh, was a banker, uh, emigrated from Cuba. You know, worked really hard. It's kind of the classic American success story. But uh, worked for a bank, and when the bank was sold, gave stock to all of the grandkids. And you know, my father took that and and reallocated it. And of course, this is the 1990s, and there had been a lot of growth. And he said, "Hey, Joe, I want you to see." what this money has done. And, and that's when I learned about compound interest and what it meant. And, how, and from that- so How old are you? 14 or 15. 14? And okay. so from that point, I was really committed to giving, you know, if I got a gift or I, I, at least some of that money would go towards investment. Um, and, and so being around it, I had a familiarity and a comfort level with investing. Uh, and so that was kind of what convinced me that it worked. But then what made me passionate about the business was, you know, I, I did a, a two year missionary service for my church 
before that, I wanted to be a film director, <laughs> you know, and, and while I was doing, yeah, while I was, yeah. you know, I was engaged in that, um, I realized that I, I just really liked movies. I didn't have the passion to make a career out of it. And so I kind of shifted. I came back home from that. I had three years of college left and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I hadn't decided to, to work with my father. And I took all these assessments and questionnaires and things like that and started to think about what the characteristics of a career that I would enjoy. And so, you know, I noticed that he had a lot of flexibility, which was important when we were kids. He could come to plays and, and other things that we were involved in, and that was very appealing. But even more than that, I, I realized that a lot of the people that I knew were family friends were also clients. There were people that he'd known for years that he met uh, one of our one of his you know, best friends, oldest clients, the guy that he met knocking on doors when he first got started in, in the industry, a guy who really had no, he didn't have any money at the time either, but he created a good friendship and eventually, you know, that gentleman was sold his business and, and I was able to connect the work that he was doing with seeing people realize the results of, of their work over their lives. And so those long-term, not transactional, but but really you know, process-based relationships was really appealing. Mm-hmm. And, and everything that you guys have shared, it's, that's, I think, the consistent thread, right? Is not, you're not just trying to sell someone something, but see them go from A to B, with B being what is most important to them. And, I, and that's really, I think, a shared passion that we all have, is wanting to, it's that, that process, the progress that people make that is so uplifting. And you don't always know if what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, I'll sit in the, you know, with a client and we'll be done with the meeting and I'll wonder, like, was that impactful? Did that, was that helpful? And, and you don't get that payoff every time, but then you know, every once in a while you, you see uh, someone says thanks because they could pay for college for their kid or, or they were reassured at a difficult time in the market. They didn't do something you know, unwise. And, and sit out the recovery when it happens. So it's really that opportunity to work with people, to take their strengths, to help them avoid their, their weaknesses and, and make something you know, for their families. So I want to talk, I've heard it come up a couple times about this idea of being entitled to a certain lifestyle. You were talking about your wife who felt like she deserved to go shopping. Sherman, I think you mentioned something along those lines too. Like, is that, does it have to be a 100% limiting belief that like if, if you're on a debt journey that that being entitled to a lifestyle is like a bad thing or is that actually true? I mean like I think about my own journey, there was a time where I, my girlfriend at the time and I broke up and, and I knew that I couldn't afford rent by myself but I knew I was too old to have a college roommate again. Like I was in my 30s and I didn't wanna go live with some 20 year old kid that didn't know how to do the dishes <laughs> so I'm paying rent by myself but that was money that I could have been putting toward debt, right? But I felt like I was entitled to that. So I mean, is that a limiting belief? Is there a, a, a target that like if you're out in the workforce making money that you know you should you should kind of have like this level of salary before you really start like, bare, you know, getting down to the bare bones or anything like that. Let it anybody take. It depends. I, yeah. Yeah. It it depends on how nice the apartment is. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely have your own place. And you know, I, you know, the thing for me, I would say is during that time, was that the most important thing to you? Right. Was living by yourself, having your own place, feeling like, hey, I'm an adult now you know, I'm past that stage of my life. If that was the most important thing to you, then to me, I don't, 
look at that so much as something of an, a sense of entitlement, right? I look at that as something that that was part of your purpose. That was part of your journey. If you were to set goals for yourself, if that would have been, you know, something that was there, then absolutely go for it with reckless abandon, right? But I think the problem is most people don't think about that and maybe they go and they get that place and then they go and they do retail therapy and they buy a whole bunch of stuff (laughs) that they probably didn't need to make themselves feel better and then they went out and they got a car because that might and there's all these other things that don't contribute to purpose you know that end up hurting you more so you know again it depends uh you know but i wouldn't necessarily say it's a limiting belief now there's my opinion doesn't i mean a lot of it has to do with the fact that at least from what i feel a lot of people are okay with having debt like i mean it's almost like Mm -hmm. you you get used to having the car payment Mm -hmm. right you don't really think about the fact that okay what if i didn't have the car payment (laughs) (laughs) like what else could i do you know they don't you don't really we don't do enough of like thinking about the future and retirement and how much money how much money do i really want like when i'm retired how much money do i really want to have we're just not really thinking that through all the way and i mean because like i think this year has been such a reality check, right? Because of COVID and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, like I hear you say that and then I'm like, you know, but but then you get into like a side hustle mode, right? I get into a mode like I'm, I'm selling so much stuff out of my house, Facebook Marketplace, because I got hungry to get out of debt. Like what? What else? I'm, I'm looking at my wife. What else can I sell? <laughs> you know, you, you like this picture? I don't look at this picture. You, you like this picture? I'm gonna sell this picture. Uh, you know, and and you get hungry because it's almost like, like I just had that wake up call. But I mean, like we had debt. I mean, we were making payments on it. It wasn't like we weren't. We just weren't like hungry to get rid of it. You know what I mean? It's like these delicious cookies in the middle of the table. <laughs> There's nothing wrong so with good. having a cookie. There's nothing wrong with having two cookies, but if you're mindlessly eating cookies, you know, is that taking you further away from your other goals? So mindfulness is a big part of that. You realized you, maybe you didn't, or maybe you did, you woke up and you said, you know what, now I'm in this position. I don't want to feel this way anymore. What's more important to me than the cookies or than the other stuff or the apartment? So if you make that choice mindfully, if you say, okay, I understand that I'm giving up X, Y, and Z in order to have this. You know, we, my wife and I, it's important to us to have experiences with our kids when they're young. So we, we could have more money in, you know, the market, but we decided we wanted to go do, you know, have some nice trips, have these experiences with our kids. Now, mm-hmm. at the same time, we don't have a boat, you know, we don't have other, you know, kind of toys because we decided, you know, what's important to us as a family. Um, and other families might make a different choice. They go on the boat every weekend. That is their family activity, and that can be great, even if you have to borrow some money. It, but it needs to be, you know, a careful choice. And I want to flip it to Sherman real quick because I was thinking your situation really correlates with what he was saying. Because, you know, Sherman, I don't know if you started making more money, you know, during the time, or if you just took. You know, I'd be interested to hear what what it is. But what was that catalyst that made you go from, oh, I'm investing a little over here. Oh, I'm paying a little debt off over here. Oh, I'm having some fun with it over here, you know, whatever. And then you just said, no, I'm just going to hyper focus and just pay off debt. And then it was like, boom, you started making an indent, you know, on it. So I'm curious to hear because, again, that goes back to, you know, clear objectives, 
you had a clear objective, you wanted to get a place. That's totally fine, nothing wrong with that, right? And you accomplished that. So I'm actually, just because it kind of correlates right. with your question, interested to hear what was the catalyst for you that made you, yeah. you know, change your strategy? Yeah, so I was, you know, I've, I've made decent money for a little while and I would just, <clears throat> You know, I was just, like I said, I was trying to do too many things, and then one day we were looking at getting a new home, and I was just like, oh, "I should get a new home." You know, we can afford it. And then, you know, looking at the homes in the price range, and I was just like, "Yeah, but that's debt, and I got this hundred and something grand over here. That's gonna put me that much in debt." And I was just like, "This is stupid." Honestly, I was just like, "This is," I was like, "This is stupid." I was like, "I was like, just, just stop." So me and my wife talk. I was like, "Hey, for the next eighteen months or so." Like it's sort of gonna suck because we're not gonna do a lot of stuff. I'm not putting anything into retirement. I'm not doing anything. I'm paying off this debt. And she was like, "All right, like, okay." So then, All right. we just we just got focused and started doing it. And uh, but yeah, it was you know just sort of just the culmination because honestly, for for years after graduating from college, I just oh I got that debt over there at school. That's the only debt really. I'm just I'm gonna pay a little bit. I'm still gonna live my lifestyle. I'm gonna invest in retirement and do all this stuff. And I was just like, no, I need to stop because I want to have, you know, X amount at, at this age. And for me, it's sort of, you know, more so clarity in mind than anything, right? Um, like you're saying, most people are used to having debt. So they don't know what it's like to be totally free, right? When you don't owe any man anything, right? You don't have to make a lot of money. That's the thing. Like most people don't realize when you don't owe anyone a car payment, a loan, a uh-huh. uh, um, a mortgage, anything like that, you don't need to make a lot of money. Listen um, to that one, everybody, that's true. But most people don't, like they just can't wrap their head around that and they don't wanna <coughs> sacrifice, right, to basically get there. I like to say I'm the king of delayed gratification. I have no issue with delaying gratification. As long as I know, eventually, like you can tell me right now, hey Sherman, like the next 10 years are gonna absolutely suck. However, at year 10, you're going to reach all of your financial goals. I'm like, all right, buckle up. Here we go, 10 years, right? Most people can't do that, right? Like I've seen, like most people can't do it, right? Like most people, you know, just get involved. They're like, oh, look, this family took a vacation. Look, like, Joe, they went on vacation. Honey, why are we going on vacation? Well, we really can't afford to. Or no one really wants to say that. So you pull out the old Amex or whatever and put it on there. You get your pictures on Instagram, but you come back and you got to pay for the last week you just spent in Cabo. Mm. And you really, like, you just can't afford it. So um, for me, it was just, I was just sick and tired, right? I was just sick and tired of just having that school debt over there. And once I really got dialed in about 14, 15 months ago, I realized this interest is killing me. <laughs> I was like, this is stupid. I was like, and I actually just got pissed. That's what made me just, I was like, all right, this never happened again. I will not let this happen to anyone. I'm gonna shout it from the mountaintop. I'm gonna argue with all the people on Facebook that are broke, <laughs> that don't know anything about money, that don't have money, but they're trying to tell me how to, yeah, I mean, that's the thing you see on Facebook, like, I'll tell anyone, anyway, I'll tell you my salary, and it, it doesn't matter, right, how much money I make. What's your salary? You know, like, <laughs> you're like, what can you do with how much money I make, right? Like, what can you do with that, besides talk about it, right? Like, you can't do anything with that, and I, I think me, growing up as a young black kid with a single mom, no one ever talked about that. It was all, mm-hmm. oh, you gotta yeah. be an entertainer or athlete and this type of stuff, so for me, I wanna be a motivation to other kids to see, like, hey, like, there's nothing wrong with sports. I went to college on sports and all that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the only way. Do you think a lot of it is, I mean, it's that entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah, I mean, you guys, everybody at this table I know is extremely driven, 
right? And so like I look at that, I'm like, it's almost, it almost feels like an advantage. You know, like what do you do to the people? Because there's so many people out there, they have this debt and it's just this weight. And they almost look at it and say, man, I ain't never gonna be able to get rid of that. Yeah. So why even try? Because they don't see anyone else doing it. That's why though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I agree really with you, it's normalized. definitely mindset. I agree, but like, yeah. if you don't see anyone else doing it, right? If you don't, if you don't see anyone else paying off debt that work normal job, I don't think me personally. I'm an entrepreneur, love it through and through. I don't think entrepreneurship is for everyone, right? Like it's for anyone, Definitely. but it's not for everyone. Like everyone, <laughs> like, like it's kind of sexy now. Like Gary Vee, you know, he makes it like entrepreneur, but like, like I mean, I remember when we were first starting off, my wife and I, like there were times that we were scared that we wouldn't have food to eat for our kids, right? So like, it's not for everyone, but you know, now it's kind of sexy to be an entrepreneur and all that, but like, like, you can become wealthy regardless of the job you have. I think entrepreneurship, like, you know, like for me, for your entrepreneur, if you are having a bad year, you're not making great money, you can say like, all right, like I'm gonna freaking get my butt in gear and I'm going to make more money. When you work with someone on salary, right? Like it's that really, mm-hmm. you, you know, like that's really not there. You know, unless you can probably sell more stuff and make more money. But if you have like an office job or something, you know, you make 60 grand a year, you're making 60 grand a year regardless of how great everything else goes. All right, so why don't we go around the room real quick and everybody give your biggest tip to making, you know, to to getting out of it. Like if you're, if somebody's in debt, like what's the what's the number one step, uh, you know, one, number one tip that each of you guys have for, for getting out of debt? or making or starting the journey, whatever it is. If they like had, don't even know, they're starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably the first thing that you need to figure out is how much debt you're in and when the date you're paying it off. Because if you've done that, you've gone through all of the numbers and you logically know the steps. And so now it's just about like buying into the plan emotionally and finding what it means for you. But if if you can tell me how much you owe and when you're paying it off, I already know like, okay, you're way ahead of it. I'm just gonna jump right after that because that's exactly mine. I call it the list. It's part of the, the process, the all capitals, right? Like the list you get in, you know, it's important, I think when you're making that list that you understand exactly how much the payoff amount is, what is your monthly that you have to do for it, what the interest rate is, and you add all that up so you know exactly what you have to do. It's amazing to me when we do lifestyle strategies with people, how many people cannot tell me what their monthly expenses are even. Like like we haven't even got to the advanced stuff yet, and they know that we're gonna do this session, and I tell them like to prep it, and they're like, oh yeah, no, no, I think it's fine. I got like, I don't know, around $4,000 of expenses. Around? Like, no, I want the number. And then most of the time, they're wrong. There's stuff they don't think about. Um, so almost nobody right there with you. No, has a budget. Almost nobody keeps a budget. <clears throat> almost nobody could tell you their living expense. And that's even people who are extremely well prepared for retirement, who have a lot of assets. And we say, how much, you know, it, what's your ideal retirement? They don't know. 41% of people have made a budget this year. Less than 22% look at it more than once a month. So one in five of you listening to this podcast right now are sitting there going, hey, I'm doing good. The others, you need to go make a budget. I think they're lying too. I don't think it's even that high. (laughs) Don't trust the survey. (laughs) That's self-reported. Yeah, that's (laughs) a lot of people feeling good about themselves. (laughs) I mean, I'm feeling really good about myself because I look at my budget every day. 
and now even like, and I would even like later, hopefully we can dive into some of the business aspects because I find it very hard to like budget with a business. Um, but but yeah, I'm like looking at mine every single day. And, and now even looking at like the, ca- not on the business side, like really looking at the cash flow every single day. Um, you know, so, but Sherman, what about you? T- number one, number one tip. Um, yeah, piggyback off these guys. I think you that's that's sort of ground level. If you don't, most people don't know, but if you don't know, you have no shot. Um, close second for me is you need to have a you know you need to be on a budget. Right, you need to know where every dollar is going. Right, um, because once you know that number, you owe whatever forty grand. Now we need to know how much money are you spending per month. Most people don't know how much money they're spending. Like, hey, I make this. I know money runs out every month, so I know I'm spending too much, but I don't know what I'm really spending money on, right? I pay my bills, and then we just go out to eat here. We do this, oh look, this month we can do this because we have money. This month we really can't afford to do it, so we'll pay some on the debit card, put the rest on the credit card. So I think having a budget is key. Yeah, I think having a budget. And can we just real quick, sorry, go ahead. When I was a, when I was able to save all of that money on the entry-level salary, I didn't have a budget and I didn't track my expenses. But what I did do is as soon as I got paid, I moved things to, I had three accounts. I had my bills account, my savings account, and my like spending account. As soon as I got paid, I moved over things that I owed in bills. That wasn't my money. I, like Mentally, I'm like, it's gonna be spent in the next two weeks. Then I like sent things to savings and then whatever's in my um, checking, like my everyday checking, that's what I spent. So I wasn't like always, like I didn't track every dollar. I didn't give every dollar uh, like a job, but that was kind of like the hierarchy of like what I decided to do and that was like priorities. Like I owe people this, this is my, like I'm paying myself first and then whatever's left, like you kind of just like, that's how I'm gonna make it work. So. It, it is one like, yeah, having a budget is is definitely a tool to help, but it also is like, if you're somebody who doesn't do that, there are still other ways for you to still hit your money goals without tracking every single dollar. Cause that might not work for people. That's good. I just wanted to say real quick, can we just dispel the fact that a budget is a four letter, four letter word? <laughs> like it's not a curse word, people. Like billion dollar organizations that I work with have budgets, right? There's a reason for that because in order to get where you're going, you got to know what it is. And to your point, it doesn't have to be every dollar and every cent. You got to know that generically where the majority of it's going, got to have a plan for it. Because again, I have a budget and part of that budget is fun stuff. If you love bowling, freaking go bowling, right? If you love hunting, if you love shopping, if shopping is your thing, then that's fine. You know, we're not saying that you need to live this hermit life. I mean, it all depends on how quickly you want to reach whatever your goal is, but you can budget for the stuff that you enjoy. And personally, I think you should, otherwise you'll get burnt out, but have a purpose for it. So don't think that budget means uh, you'll never have any fun again. That's not what it means. It just means you have a plan behind it. So caveat. Yeah, real quick on that. Like I would say that, so I am doing the Ramsey Plus like budget what is it every dollar every dollar app or whatever and i and i really really like it um and not, so i am putting every single penny to a line item right whether it's a bill whether it's savings and i find that that has helped so anybody who's trying to get out of debt or you have credit cards i found that that has helped tremendously because i'll do exactly what you said like i'll put you know 25 dollars for bowling or what you know whatever the line item is and then we only spent 20 and then I'm like, oh, this $5, I can move right down here to the credit card debt. 
And that's helped me tremendously. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we've been able to like really move quickly through the debt that we, that we've had as a family. So, but I know you had a couple questions. Um, I was going to give my tip too. Yep. Oh, yeah. please, dude. <laughs> no, so I mean, I mean it, you've been hustling it. Yeah. Right? So I mean, it kind of echoes a lot of this, and I don't want to sound redundant, but I think one of the things that helped me the most is is you got you got to get organized, and and there's a different a bunch of different ways you can go about that. But for me, it was as simple as setting up two different bank accounts, and Andrea kind of hit on that a lot. But like totaling up my minimum payments for all of all of my everything, my rent, my insurances, any subscriptions, and just knowing how much money is coming out every single month and taking a portion of your paycheck, like we get paid weekly at New Scooters for Less, and so how much do I need to put in this account every single week so that my bills are paid? Because I think a lot of times is people don't even have a grasp of, hey, if it's Wild Wild West, all your money is going into one account and you're just spending it on every impulse, um, you, you put yourself in a situation where maybe you accidentally spent your rent and now you're charging it, right? So if you can set up a situation where your your money is getting allocated to a bill pay account and then, you, I mean, the first thing you do, I think everybody would probably agree is cut the credit cards, right? But you have all, all of your uh, bill pay money going to an account and then anything that's on the overflow send to a different account and that's the money you spend. I mean, like, if, if, you, if you're going to the grocery store and you realize you don't have very much money in there, you're putting the scallops back and you're getting ramen. Like, you don't have the money to put, you know, put toward anything. Um, but, but doing that, I think, helped, helped me a lot. Um, I think that there's this, this idea, too, that I kind of touched on, but I think a lot of people, especially uh, millennials, but, like, peer, peers that I've talked to, they struggle with the idea of, of basic needs being met and and that's subjective for a lot of people um you know some some person's basic needs might be a little bit luxurious but i think about things like you know i talked about the apartment like you know if if you don't have a place that's a a sanctuary for you to go home and get a good night's sleep if it's you know if it's raucous or it's not safe or whatever, then you're not doing yourself any favors. Um, if you've, you know, your pension pennies to to drive a car to work that breaks down and causes you to lose your job, you're not doing yourself any favors. So there's things like that that you've got to invest in. And so I, I'm kind of curious, like, it, I think that we struggle with this idea of what do we deserve? What are we entitled to from a basic need standpoint? Uh, we got a lot of millennials that, that come out of college saddled with debt and they're, not making a lot of money in entry level jobs. And so they feel like they can't get out of debt until they make a certain amount. But the reality is they're only growing their debt. And some of this is, is parental, bad parental influence. You know, if uh, I volunteer with Junior Achievement, which is an organization focused on financial literacy for K through 12. And I usually work with high school kids and I, I always try to tell them you know, your parents may be willing to pay for an expensive education or may want you to go to a top school, but you have to consider the return on that investment. Mm-hmm. And, and if parents have not been more, I mean, these are adults, of course, once they turn 18, they can kind of make their own choices. But um, y- young people, now I sound like the old man, but young, pe- <laughs> young people want to have the same standard of living as their parents, um, especially today. And we live... The poorest person in the United States lives with a level of wealth, not the poorest, but you know what I mean, uh, that, that's unimaginable 50 years ago and certainly unimaginable outside the US. And, and so the standard we have, there's a, an impatience for a certain standard of living that, that fuels some of this as well. And you know, that's, that's part of it too. I, I wish parents would, uh, 
would would I don't know look look a little more at uh, you know what it takes to be successful, what it means to be successful, uh, especially as it relates to educational expenses, which is really one of the major you know issues that young people have when they graduate. Is there's you know go to go to a community college for two years, kill it, and then write your ticket you know for for where you want to go, it's where you want to transfer to, and come out with minimal debt or or you know a manageable amount instead of a mortgage you know worth of debt. But that doesn't. There was a lot of pressure that parents put, and it's uh, it's complicated. Money is very complicated. These are the choices you make about money. A lot of the way you look at it is is decided by the time you're eight or nine. I think there's been you know the kind of your your, your money mindset. delayed gratification or instant gratification. What what you there's that marshmallow game experiment. <laughs> you know, like you see all these behaviors. I've got three kids. They're all different with money, and I don't think it's different things that we've done. So as I don't. Know, uh, you know, we, we mentioned things like having a system or a structure or something. Like Andrea said, I think that's there's a lot of things that parents can do to help their kids have an attitude, and then you just kind of cross your fingers and hope it works out. But, but I think that, um, like in the personal finance space, a lot of energy goes to budgeting and cutting costs and optimizing, and that's great. I totally am for that. I honestly am like, that's the foundation. You should find a system that works and your money is gonna work when it's given to you or like when you're earning it. Um, but there's also like a point where it's like, hey, you you need to earn more income, right? Like you need, you need to earn more. And I feel like that's not something that we talk about a lot. It's just kind of like, all right, how do we make this work? Um, but in issues where it's like, hey, I want this and I want this and I've cut this, now it's like, okay, I need to like earn more. Like I need to negotiate my salary. I need to start, start a side hustle. Like there's definitely like ways to do that. So a part of me is like, you can have it all. It just, it's going to take time and planning and effort. Um, so you don't necessarily have to like live in this sacrificial, like, oh, like there's a fire movement, which is financial independence, retire early. And like, they're, they're like not really enjoying life. So at that point it's like, I wouldn't want to do that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> but, but that's their, that's their like, that's their pace. That feels really good to them. To them, it's not a sacrifice. It's a choice. And I resonate with that. There are certain areas in my life where I'm like, this isn't a sacrifice. Like, I'm choosing this. Um, but if you're on this side and you're like, but I want to enjoy these things, it's like, okay, you can. Like, how can you do that? Like, how can you make that work? Like, what can you do to make yourself make yourself more valuable at your job? Um, so I think that's like the flip side of personal finance that doesn't really get talked about, but... Yeah, negotiating salaries, earning extra side income, like that earning more is not gonna be a problem or it is never gonna hurt, you know, especially once you have the system that works. Yeah, it's good. There's a humility involved. I know a guy who delivered pizzas for like five years so he could pay off his student loans. And that's while working a full-time job with three kids at home. You know, it was really hard and humbling, you know, to, you know, but he just, it was more important to him to, to get ahead than it was to worry about whether people knew he worked for Domino's, you know, mm -hmm. and that was great. It's like, that's honest, yeah, hard work. So kind of going back to what you were talking about on the parenting side, mm -hmm. right? Kids being exposed to what their parents are doing and whatever financial system that may be, it's different across the country, right? Or, or across the world. Um, you know, one of the things that I am constantly exposed to here at the dealership mm -hmm. are parents who want to establish credit for their child. Mm -hmm. Right, it's like, hey, like, you know, can we co-sign on this loan and let our kid pay for their scooter over over time? So we, this would be a great opportunity to establish credit. You know, do do people need to establish credit? I would say, what's the rush? 
uh, to some degree. I mean, it depends. Um, yeah. Are you, are you saying established credit early I'm just, I'm just on, curious or are you what, saying in general? I'm just curious what, I know you're what your personal fan. opinion. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I am a Ramsey the, fan. And the, like he would say, you don't need a credit card. You don't need a credit score. This, you never go to like, so. I'm passionate about this one because this is one of the main reasons I started doing my own thing and stopped FPU. Again, not saying that FPU isn't good or that it doesn't have any good fundamentals or anything like that. But this is one of my main disagreements because people, if you want to buy a house cash, good luck um it's going to take you a little while if you've got the delayed gratification uh muscle that sherman has you can pull that off but to his point not a lot of people do my thing is this uh an interest or a um credit score is essentially a reliability score right the banks want to know are you going to be reliable in paying us back um and it's not hard to establish i don't know how early i'll leave that up to the professionals it needs to be done but eventually more than likely, if you ever want to do anything above buying a car, buying a house, buying an investment property, starting a business, you're going to probably need some line of credit at some point in time. And if that's the case, then you're going to have to have credit. And if you don't have any credit score, and this is, you know, I have friends that work in banks who do mortgage origination, business loan origination, and they will tell you straight up, if this person has half a million dollars in the bank, and they want to do a million dollars for their business and they have no credit, I'm not giving them the loan. They can't, they can't. They, they, they don't even have access to because they, there's so much they don't know and that's how the system is built. Whether the system's built right or wrong is another discussion for another time, but right now that's the game. And if you want to play it and you want to get ahead, you have to have some, in my opinion, from what I've read and from what I understand, you have to have some type of established credit or when you do go to get one of those loans or you are looking for something like that, then you are going to pay an interest rate that is astronomical and it's just gonna end up hurting you on anything, so. I mean, establishing a credit history is a good thing. And so, you know, doing that on a loan for a scooter is, especially one guaranteed by the parents, is theoretically a, a lower risk. But that's not really gonna teach the young person how to deal with credit which is a different question. Right. And I think you have to help, you have to give uh, kids an opportunity to fail with money. And college is probably too late for that. So, you know, one good system, you know, we've tried to implement to a limited degree with my kids. My, my oldest is a sophomore in high school, um, but, but it's a system I like. So it's more of a, I'm, I'm coaching, not so much doing on this to be fully you know, transparent. But is at, you know, look at the discretionary expenses that your child has. And as they advance through high school, give them authority over more and more of that. For example, maybe it's clothing. You have a certain clothing allowance for the kid. Maybe they earn some money, whatever it is. Uh, but that's up to them. If they blow it on one pair of jeans, oh well, then they have one pair of jeans to wear. So they're, they're, you wanna give them opportunities to fail with managing money that where the risk is, is fairly limited. I mean, that's, I think, going to be more helpful in the long run than do they have a credit history, you know, when they when it comes time to borrow money. That's not a bad thing. You can also establish that with a, you know, a secured credit card from your bank or I mean, there's lots of ways they can do it where you don't need a parent. Um, it, it, the literacy piece is more important, though, than the history piece, because mm -hmm. you could have this great credit and blow it up, Very true. you know, in a year. And if mom and dad are there to bail you out, then they, you're, you're not learning anything. Right. Me, um, I'm gonna say for the credit, uh, I'm gonna say no, right? Um, and here's why for me, um, 
And I everyone, love disagreements. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me, bring it on. <laughs> me too. That's not an argument. I feel very go. threatened. No. Because he's, he's bigger than me. No. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. For me, uh, you know, I have young kids. I'm going to teach my kids, you know, certain things. However, like you say, once they become 18, now, hey, son, daughter, like I've taught you the way I think you should do it. Now you got to figure this thing out on your own, right? Like give them some responsibilities at the home. But for me, like the whole credit thing, the biggest thing is, is that you will need to buy a home, right? Like you, most people not gonna be able to buy uh, um, not gonna be able to buy a home cash. So that's fine. So you, if you don't have a credit card, like a like nothing, you're gonna have to get some manual underwriting done. Like you said, definitely gonna interest rate gonna be a little bit higher because um, they have to make sure that you're gonna better pay these folks back. Here's the thing: if you're really trying to to me, it's always funny that people talk about home ownership when no one is really trying to own a home. They're trying to rent a home, have some equity in it, and then move up and move up and move up, right? Again, that's sort of falling into that lifestyle creep mm-hmm. that Andre talked about earlier. So my thing is, if like outside of a home, there's really, for me, there's really no need to borrow money, right? Um, now, all both of my businesses, I started small, right? Sort of small. Um, but if you're getting into something big where, you know, these bigger companies, like I don't know what to really do with that, right? I'm not gonna say, hey, don't follow your dream. Uh, I'm gonna say, hey, I would tell them, hey, try to figure this thing out without borrowing money because for me, like the risk, right? Like my risk tolerance is fairly low, right? Um, I know that about myself. So for me, I'm like, hey, you don't need credit, right? Like when you get ready for a home, like you'll figure that out. Um, Man, you'll underwrite it, try to pay this home off quickly as possible. but as far as like cars and and really most con- most debt in the U.S. like we all agree it's not really homes and stuff it's crap it's it's cars and credit cards and student loans like all that stuff people can really not have right like if you're you know if you decided that you want to take risk and go into debt for um, a home or a business I'm like hey I probably wouldn't do it but like I get it but most of the stuff that really crushes people. Is the stuff that absolutely you should not be worried about credit card and a personal loan and a payday advance and like that's the stuff that really kills people. It's not the the businesses. It's not the homes, right? Most people buy way too much home because they want to impress people they don't like. But that's for another conversation. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think that's very relevant to the conversation because I think that's a huge piece of it, man. Like, there's so many people who are trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses, right? Yeah. Like, that's the that's the phrase, uh, you know, well, keeping well, up with the Joneses. Like, I'm. But like, you see, to impress people they don't like, yeah, exactly. that's great. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think it's super relevant to the conversation. I, I wish more people would just get a grasp and be more comfortable with who they are, and be like. Like, I don't I don't care what other people think of me. But here's the thing we're talking about though. Like we're having this discussion. Like no one like no one talks about this. Like we're we're mm-hmm. three are you married? You're not married. Mm-hmm. So like we're married, right? So like two things that crush marriages, finances mm-hmm. and sex, right? Like no one talks about those things, but mm-hmm. those are two things that should be talked about more in an open format, right? And people should be talking about finance so that Sherman Sherman says absolutely don't get debt. He says, yeah, like yeah, like you can get some debt, but like people need to see both sides. They need to hear this say, yeah. oh, like I agree more with him or I agree more with him or her. Just people really have, but most people don't have any idea. So it's just like, well, I want this and like they're gonna go to California without me. So um, I better like this application on yeah. Yeah. So I can so I can go out there and go. And that's the thing, right? I think the education piece is one of the biggest pieces that we're missing because 
it's sort of been taboo in America for so long. You cannot talk about money, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, hey, you can talk about sexual orientation and religious beliefs, but hey, like, don't like you don't talk about anyone's money, right? Like, you don't talk about that. Like, that's I, rude. I love the fact that he used the word taboo because this is like even more than financial education is the fact of financial um, uh, conversation, right? Like. Most people have no idea how much money their parents make. Most people have no idea how much money their friends make. And it's unbelievable to me the fact that you can be so close to somebody like that and not understand one of the you know most important things about their life, right? Like, how is this coming in? And I don't know where the taboo started. Other cultures are on it. I actually have a podcast episode I've recorded, not to plug myself here, but <laughs> you know, to where I actually looked up polls that people uh, took about things that they would rather talk about than money. And I'm not going to spoil it too much, but like one of the categories is sitting during an intense, awkward sex scene in a movie with your parents. And there are people voting that they would rather do that than have a conversation with them. Like it's unbelievable how uncomfortable it makes people. And I personally don't understand why. Like I get we we shouldn't be bragging, right? Sherman said it earlier. He'll tell you how much he makes. He's not saying that because he wants to go brag, you know, to people of oh, I'm making this much or whatever the case is. He's saying it because he wants to have a constructive conversation, and I think that's so important. And you know, for anybody listening, I would just encourage you take take the opportunity, go to your closest friend, go to a family member, you know, and just be have a conversation, just talk about it. Like people are going to defer. You have different plans for your life. No plan is going to fit anybody you know everybody the same that's fine but let's just if we start with conversations the curiosity the learning will come after that i feel so i just thought taboo was a great word i also think it's a a lot of like detaching what you think money means like Mm. i feel like society makes money feel Mm. like successful and Mm. like those things are just really idolized in our society. So if you're not to the level where you think you should be, it makes you feel like I'm not as good as them or I don't. So we really just like define a certain amount of money to mean something about us or on the flip side, debt also means something bad about us. So when you walk into those conversations or when you're even like just trying to like, you know, process your relationship with money, really try and like make those numbers just neutral. They don't mean anything. And it's really hard because that's like the world that you're living in. Um, But trying to detach those two that like it's just a number and it's like this is I'm just managing this amount of money, but it has nothing to do with what it says about me, what it means about me. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah. I think there's a lot of negative reinforcements out there, too, like just in in my you know, leadership path that at new scooters talking to employees and stuff. I've had a lot of them that, that thought that even talking, you know, employee to employer about money was, was taboo. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they've had jobs that, uh, for one, I would say they probably didn't know how to talk about money to their employer, but what it came across, uh, or the, the perception that they got back was, they didn't want to talk about money because as soon as you ask your boss for a raise or start talking about money, the first thought in their mind is, how can I replace this person for cheaper? Mm-hmm. That's what they felt like mm-hmm. the, the fear was. And so that negative reinforcement starts to build and they don't know how to talk about money. But I think a lot of times the boss, the boss, so to speak, comes at it from that perception because what they hear is this person just asking them for more money instead of having a conversation about what do I need to do? What do I need to do for the company line? What do I need to do to pull more weight around here, get more training so that I can make more money? 
which would be a much more better way to approach that conversation, but that's not the way it's being asked. So there's a lot of negative reinforcement, a lot of uh, self-fulfilling stuff going on, I think, just in my own experience leading people. You What's, guys keep talking about asking someone for a raise. That just blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind. You're like, I, I, I guess I've been an entrepreneur for so long now, I'm just like, I forget people have to, like that's something real to deal with. Like mm -hmm. you, you talked about negotiating your salary, you know, like, so I have to go to someone and say, hey, like, like I need to make more money. To me, like, that is a tough, like I imagine that's a tough situation to be in, especially when you have goals, right? Like if you're a hard driver, like most people are, they have all these goals, you have to go to someone and say, you know, that's humbling. Or you have to go to someone, hey, how can I make more money? And like, what if they tell you, hey, we just don't have more money, like there's nothing you can do. You just start looking for another job or something like that. I, so one thing not on the bio, I am a owner of a local business called Citroen Clean. Uh, we do a lot of business services, different things like that. And let me just say this as uh, an employer, and I know this with my, my co-owner as well, for people that are out there, we want good people. <laughs> it is hard to find good people. I mean, can I get an amen from all the business <laughs> yes. in the room? Yes. Right? Yes, man. I yes. mean, it is hard to find good people. So to find good. Let's <laughs> hey, just show up show, on time. You show up on time, yeah. you work hard, um, and you respect the people that you work around. Like seriously, if we just started with that's those. That's the threshold, right? Like that's, that's, that's yeah. how low I would put the bar <laughs> of a good employee mm -hmm. nowadays. And for me, if I had somebody who I was paying whatever the lower level is, you know, for what they were doing and they came to me and said, I want to raise, this is as a boss, what I would want to hear. I would, you know, this is the conversation I would have with them. And I would say, because number one, I'm not looking down on them at all. First off, I want to know why, like, are they in a bad situation yeah. financially? Do they need help? They're probably is pregnant. this an emergency thing? Do they just need a quick <laughs> bonus, you know, to help them out? Or are they, they really just want to earn some more money. For the most part, everybody does. That's fine. But for me, I would go, okay, what I would want to hear as the boss, the thing that would impress me the most is if they came in and said, hey, I'm looking for a raise. I wanna learn how to do X skill better. Hmm. You know, I wanna help, you know, with whatever it is in your job that you're doing. What's pick one or two things that you see your immediate boss doing, the manager or whoever that you feel you could take over to free up their time a little bit. Take on extra responsibilities, uh, develop a new skill, anything like that. I would never turn anybody down on that, never. I, we would come up with a plan, we would figure out how to make it happen, and I would I would be 100% for it. So I think for anybody out there who's in that position to where you do wanna make more money, and please, I wanna hear from the other business owners in the room on this one, but if somebody had to come to me and ask that, I would never view that as a bad thing, unless they just came to me and said, hey, I just want some more money, and I was like, uh, okay, well, if I give you some extra, <laughs> if I gave you some extra responsibilities, are going to do? And they're like, no, I, I don't want to do anything extra. I just, I just want some more money. You know, that's the only time I would be like. Uh, and even then, to be honest, even though I don't think that's a great way to do it, if it was, if you gave an ultimatum, which I don't think are good, mm. you know, and you came in, and you're like that, or I have a better offer somewhere else just that is a legitimate conversation. Like not to be a jerk about it or anything, but if you just come in and you're like, listen, boss, I love working here, but you know, so-and-so's offering me $20 an hour and I'm only making 16 here. 
you know, I don't want to leave, but that's a significant pay raise, 20 plus percent, then I'm going to sit here and go, okay, how much do I value this person? Can I make that happen? And then we're going to have a conversation about it. So even if you come with it with leverage from that perspective, I still don't view it as a, as a bad conversation to have because the market has judged your worth at that skill level and somebody has decided you're worth $20 an hour. So therefore it's worth a conversation in my opinion. Well, like what Sherman said, if you're, if you are the boss, if you own the company, you're not accustomed to having to have that conversation. And one of my sins is, as an employer is not always reviewing how long has it been since I gave so-and-so a raise. And so when, when someone comes to me, and this happened a few months ago, and they said, hey, it's been since you know 2000 whatever. And, and number one, I was embarrassed because it had been too long. And I was really glad they brought it up. And I said, hey, do you mind if I research this and get back to you? And and it was great, and we determined it was appropriate and went forward, and I was glad they said something. Um, so I think that's the other thing, is assume that you know, it's, you're gonna have a good outcome if you speak up for yourself. But it's just, it, it's probable or possible your boss may just not have thought about it the way they should have, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other things going on. No, but make yeah. sure you're doing your job well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I always think it's, you know, I, I like the people who, can bring it to the table and say, this is where I'm, this is, in the last in the last year, this is where I've made you more money. Mm-hmm. This is where, these are the things that I've done. Like these mm-hmm. are the comp, I, I, like, I like to see it firsthand. That's huge. Um, on like steering it back this way, the thing that worries me a lot about, uh, not, not like I want everybody to be paid fairly. They like, absolutely. I think having a plan of growth in a, a position is super important. Um, but what we know is that when people start making more money, they start spending more money. <laughs> like that, that, that's a mathematical, like statistic fact, right? Like a lot of people, they, they, get, that, they get that raise while they go upgrade their car. They go upgrade their house. And usually, uh, at least from what I've learned, is that the more money, the more money people make, the more debt they have. Um, you know, so that's just been something that's super interesting to me. And I would, you know, I don't know. I almost feel like it would be great if I just, if people had a, uh, I don't know, like a plan that when they, you know, if, if that team member came in and had that conversation, I would be so much more amped about it if it was like, this is my plan. <laughs> this is, you know, yeah, like I deserve it. I've been making more money, but this is what I actually want to do with this money. And this is actually what I want. This, These are my dreams. These are my goals. And this is, you know, whether I'm getting it here or not here, this is what I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. That drives me more than I just feel like I need a raise. <laughs> I would call that best practice for anybody listening. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the ideal thing you would do. Yep. And you have to have an environment that is amenable to that kind of conversation too. You, right. you know, we, we used to do formal quarterly reviews most of the time. Sometimes it was semi-annually. And, and a, a few years ago shifted to having, it's like a, we call it a monthly powwow. Because if there's something important that that employee needs to be doing better, I need to be telling them that. Not immediately. Once a, yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and if I know we're going to sit down, and then it's a, a freer opportunity. And maybe it's because we're a financial planning business that we do, our employees do talk to us about and ask advice about things they're trying to do with their personal finances. So that's, that just comes up a little more organically. But um, I think you know, if you're an employee telling your boss you'd like to have a regular opportunity to sit down and talk about, I mean, I think most employers would welcome that too. 
that might create that opportunity to have that conversation. So that's a huge piece of the puzzle is definitely uh, at least over time or having a mindset of increasing income. Advocating for yourself for yep. sure. Um, let's talk about, this is something that has always fascinated me and kind of goes back to even the house conversation, right? Um, is there such thing as good debt? Yes. No. Quick. <laughs> Quick. All right, so. Depends. What if he said, Sherman, what if he said uh, acceptable debt? Is that still a no? No. Uh, I'm going to go with no. That's great. No, I love hearing <laughs> so, it. So yeah. no debt is acceptable. Love the conviction. No debt. Okay, but Andrea, you said yes pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. So why don't you explain? Like, I think debt can be leveraged, and I think debt needs to be leveraged to... Sherman Char- just had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody it's get like, in. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, Hold, oh my gosh. <laughs> what you talking about? I think debt can be leveraged and sometimes often is needed to build wealth. Um, and I think you need to be wise about how you do it. You need to be calculated, um, and you need to... No, like no. Hey, this is the risk in doing it, and am I am I okay walking that out? Um, I think that I like understand the debt free life and like how great it is and how it's glorified in the personal finance community. But a lot of times, like if somebody is working a thirty five thousand dollar a year job and they need to make more money, make <laughs> yes, they can earn more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they like want to leverage debt to start a business or, you know, invest in an asset, like, yes, do it. Um, because are you going to wait until you're paying, like, are you going to wait until your $35,000 a year job pays out your six figures in student loans? Like that's, the time is also a resource. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I definitely think it's a very personal and like you need to like look at all of these factors, but I don't think you should run away from it, especially if it's for an investment um, that's an asset. And if that's gonna be like your wealth accelerator, right? Because if you if you figure that out and that business now accelerates you like years, I, I would feel awful telling you way back here, like, oh no, don't do it, avoid debt at all costs. It's like, well, you, like this was the opportunity cost. Like this is what you missed out on. Again, it really depends on the person, the situations, the factors, your plan. But I don't think so, all debt is bad. So that's more of the rich dad, poor dad mindset. Have you read the book? <coughs> uh, you'd like the book. I think I think she would like the book. Uh, the rich dad, poor dad. I mean, because I mean, you had brought that book up, right? I mean, so you're in agree agreement with her? Yeah. I mean, Sherman's. A lot of, from what I'm gathering, it, his, his Sherman and I are Dave Ramsey, like all <laughs> yeah. the way, no it, debt. Like, I feel like no, there's a couple go. things I don't line up with Dave Ramsey, but well, yeah, all right, well, let's Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this about your stance on it because I'm curious. Because I feel like from you know just getting to know you yeah. over this time, and hey, everybody, guess what? We're a bunch of adults that disagree on stuff, and we're not yelling at each other. <laughs> hey, take a learn about it. It's fun. Um, I'm curious, like. Is yours just coming from a risk aversion standpoint? That's what that's what I feel when I listen to it. Like a lot of it is like you've seen a lot of, and you're totally right in your in a lot of the perspectives that you have. So is is yours your perspective just more coming from that you don't need debt because just like in your situation, you started a business low cost. You were able to fund it yourself. You didn't have to take on anything. 
you know, is that kind of your perspective on where you're coming from? Yeah, yeah. So for yeah, definitely. So for me, it's it's all about the, um, like you're saying, like just for me, um, staying away from anything that can really trip you up when it's unnecessary. Like Andre, she she had a good point. You know, if someone really wants to start a business, they have thirty five thousand dollar a year job. It's gonna be tough to pay off a hundred mm-hmm. grand, right? Because thirty five thousand dollars, like you're not gonna have much to squeeze out to pay towards that hundred grand. I get that, but like she said earlier, also, well, you know, your full time job pays um, thirty five grand. Now you're probably gonna have to work your butt off and find you another job that pays, you know, whatever. You're gonna, mm-hmm. you're gonna get a part time job so you can pay this debt off. Um, because my thing is, a lot of people, not you, um, <laughs> a lot of people talk about like, oh, leveraging this and doing that, you can build wealth. Me, I'm pretty sure Joe does. There's not a lot of people I know that have leveraged all of this money and become extremely wealthy by like using all of this debt to become wealthy, right? Like that's the thing. It, it's sort of like it's sort of like glorified that like well you can leverage and make all this and do that, but I know five, ten millionaires and all of them tell me, hey, like yes, you can do some stuff with some debt. If I were you, I'd probably stay away from it unless you absolutely need it. So that's why me, it's just easier for me to say, nah, you don't need it, right? Like, don't like, don't worry about it. Like, you don't need it. But like you're saying, there's some ways, absolutely, there's some ways you can do some things. Um, but for me, it's just like, saddle up, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you can't make cash for it, you can't afford it, point blank. Yeah, you know, I tend to be debt acceptant, particularly when it comes to real estate. You know, if, mm-hmm. if it's tied to an asset that can be liquidated to cover the cost of the debt, you know, that's when it, it, it can make more sense. That's still not a guarantee that you're gonna be successful mm-hmm. um, because you have to be able to carry the debt load and if you have to unload it in a bad environment, ask anybody that owned rental property in 2008, <laughs> 2009, everyone was, a, you know. A, yeah, when they start calling notes, yep. people are like, what do you mean? All those yeah. real estate geniuses, you know, in 2008, 2009, and we're, I think we're seeing potentially some of that again mm-hmm. with, you know, real estate being pretty hot right now. Um, anytime <laughs> the money looks easy. But, you know, generally that that's an area where I think, um, you know the debt. The debt can work. The math can work. And so ultimately, it comes down to math for me when I'm looking at uh, you know a situation where somebody you know is borrowing. You know if they have a mortgage and it's two and a half percent, and in theory over the long term we expect their investments could generate more than that. Then I'm comfortable with them carrying that debt. At the same time, I have some clients who didn't need to pay off their mortgages, but they knew that it was going to dramatically enhance their peace of mind. And I've never had anybody pay off their mortgage and regret it mm. and feel like they should have used that money differently. Now these are typically fortunate people who can build up those resources again over time. So it's not like, well, this is my nest egg and once I put it in the mortgage, part of my concern sometimes if someone has a lump sum and they wanna pay off their mortgage is that then you, you lose access to that capital and you have, to, you have to pay the bank to get it back if you want. Mm-hmm. And so if I can keep that you know, unless you can pay off the mortgage altogether, it's not worth putting 50 grand toward your mortgage if you have $100,000 outstanding, because you're still gonna have the same payment. You might shorten it, but then that 50 grand is gone. Mm-hmm. And if you needed it for some reason, you don't have access to it, unless you borrow money to get, you have to pay money to get that money oh, back. Yeah, so so we haven't talked about that. I agree with Joe on that. Now, yeah. I'm, me, I wouldn't take, if I had 100 grand, I wouldn't take 75 grand to, just to pay right. off my mortgage just to do it. I would much rather, you know, keep my money over here and say, all right, guys, we're gonna get serious, we're gonna buckle down, we're gonna put more of our discretionary income towards exactly. our yeah. towards our mortgage to get it paid off quicker. I'm with you totally. Yeah. Like, I'm not right. saying, hey, like, pay off that mortgage by any means, you got a fat 400 grand, pay off the house. No, I don't do that because, like you're saying, like, you don't know what's gonna happen, right? You, you pay off that mortgage, yeah, you don't have 
a mortgage, but now you don't have any money. Yes, you can stay in your house. <laughs> you know, like they're never gonna come and take it. Right. But what if you need fifty thousand dollars for something? Mm-hmm. Now you don't have it. Now you're going backwards. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Like I don't think you should use large sums of money that is a decent amount of your net worth. Absolutely not. I think it's you just you know put more towards it each and every month. Double up on payments. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. Double, triple up, whatever your income allows. And then you continue investing and doing all that stuff so it's paid off. Because um, for me, you know, I really try to tell people, just imagine when you're sort of your peak earning years, uh, 50 or so, yeah. right? Imagine your peak earning years, you're 50 years old, you've just cleared your mortgage, you're making more money than you've ever made, and you have zero bills. Mm-hmm. Zero. Mm-hmm. Right, and most people like they don't ever think about that. They're like, "Oh, you know, I'm just thinking like just in this rat race." So for me, um, I think that paying off your mortgage is important. Obviously, trying to pay ours off as quickly as possible. But um, like I said earlier, I don't think most people are really into home ownership. Right, like they're not trying to own a home. They're trying to get a better home and a better home. And if you're trying to do that. Like you're literally to be throwing money away from when you move in, and yeah, you're gonna get some equity, but it doesn't work like that every single time. And so, I and don't, don't, think don't retire with a mortgage. Look, absolutely, you know, that's not. the worst. Mm-hmm. That that's uh, yeah, very very hard to make that to make that work. I would just say that it's for me. You know, I I see a lot of points on the table here. Again, I think that debt can work for you and be beneficial. Um, but to Sherman's point, I think the majority of people aren't equipped to understand when large sums, uh, l- large sums are, are going to do that. So I would say if you think you have a business opportunity, if you need to take out $30,000 to go start that business, you have to look at what the return on investment is going to be. How long is it going to take for you to return that money on investment? Can you pay that debt off as quickly as possible? I, you know that you took out. I think that's extremely important. You know, so if you can't, if you think you see you that you have an opportunity to, you know, have a, a cash flowing asset of some kind, whatever that may be, then I think the important thing is that you talk to somebody who's either done it or you talk to somebody that is a professional with this kind of stuff if you don't have a background in it. Don't just assume that you know because you probably don't. So I, I would say that with the caveat there with them is that there's really not a reason to. And also I do think, again, to Sherman's point, I think a lot of people take out debt to do that, but they didn't really need to. I think there's a lot of things that if you, eh, you know what, if I just took six months really save my money, I could save up enough money to go buy that truck and start up that landscaping company. I think I could really just take, you know, 12 months of just really putting my money aside and go open up that gym that I wanted to, something like that. But then again, to Andrew's point, if it's going to take me three years to do that and the opportunity is really good right now for certain reasons, I might lean the other way and say, well, if interest rates are good, if the bank's, you know, willing to give it to you and you've talked to a professional who and a couple other people that are smarter than you that agree it's a good idea, then pull the trigger because life's about taking chances. You know, it seems to me, at least from my perspective, that a lot of the people I would look at as successful almost do it the opposite. Right. And, and what I mean by that is like they'll they'll see it. They'll see a deal. Like you said, man, I missed out on that opportunity. And that's why I became super passionate about this. Right. Mm-hmm. They'll see that opportunity. They'll go. They'll because of what they've done and leverage, they'll go and say, 
all right, I'll offer you, uh, you know, if it's some a property, it's one hundred eighty thousand. I'll give you one hundred fifty thousand cash. We'll close in fifteen days. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, right. Yeah, they'll yeah. they'll do that. They will have they have the cash. They'll lay it down. They'll own it. But then they'll go to the bank, refinance it, or they'll get you know a tenant. They'll make sure that they have a tenant first. Then they'll refinance it and get the or get the bank to like you know give them money on it, right? And then they have a renter that's now is making that monthly payment and they get their cash back and go buy another property. Mm-hmm. You know, so I see a lot of moves like that and it's, you know, I don't know if it's just getting to that point where you can be able to get that first deal in cash or, you know, cause I agree, I see a lot of people who get in trouble thinking that, okay, let me get into this real estate game. I like this house, like I'll get a renter, they're gonna pay for it. But what if you can't get a renter, <laughs> yep. right? Now you're stuck with two mortgages. And I think that's where, at least from the Dave Ramsey side of things, where I see a lot of people get in trouble, yeah. right? And, and I would, I would say, I would say to that point, yeah, a lot of times people can do it and, and that's small beginning investments. But guess what, if Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos followed Dave Ramsey, there's no Amazon and there's no Tesla today. Right. There's no way that they could develop the software, they could de- get the engineers to do all the things that they needed without taking on debt first because it's just too much of, of an expenditure in order to do that. I mean, even if we don't wanna jump to that level, right? You know, I'm working on some things right now, you know, for an online academy that I wanna do. I need programmers, I need design, I need, you know, uh, people who know how to do video production, all that other stuff. So if you know anybody, uh, let me know. Um, okay, so. <laughs> but I- my point is, it's like, I'll be, I'm gonna put some of my money towards that and I've saved up for two years pretty significantly in order to get there, but I'm still gonna have to take a little bit out somewhere if I really wanna be able to do this. Thing. Okay, so let me shift it towards more of a business okay. standpoint now, going from personal to business, right? Um, if you had the opportunity to you know, sell off a piece of the company and to keep from going in debt and you know, get Bring on an get, equity partner. Yeah, bring on an equity partner, partner, right? Would you do that or would you take on the debt? At this point, no. Right, you would take on I, debt. I would take for the on growth. the debt because who else would do that? Would you give up equity or would you take on debt? And again, in order just, to fuel fuel the growth. I'm just saying business? that with this particular instance, I'm not saying that in every instance. Okay, just saying. But in my instance, no, because the the upside of me maintaining all the equity is massive compared to giving up even 10 percent of what I'm trying to do. And for the amount I'm talking about, it's fifty thousand dollars. I could ROI potentially millions over 10 years. Or something like that. So it's, it's just not worth it. It really depends. It's something Stephen said earlier is really important. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be able to talk about any of these. I mean, I'm an advisor, so, right? So I, <laughs> I, I'm going to plug the role of an advisor, a coach, whatever. It, I mean, anyone, anyone here? I think that's in our heart. That's what Use we're trying advisors, to be. Advisors, everybody. Yeah. Agreed. Great. Pay professionals. Yeah. Pay professionals <laughs> for fitness and finances and everything. It's worth it. Yeah. Who don't have who aren't in love with the idea. We fall in love with these ideas and it, we are so good at self-deception you know, as human beings. I, I lost a lot of weight a few years ago and I used to tell myself, oh, my shirts are shrinking. You know, no, the shirts aren't shrinking. Right? Like, but I convinced myself, I, I had a story that fit the narrative and then one day you step on a scale and you go, oh, you know, this is the truth. And the scale was my advisor that day. My wife was very sweet. She didn't, she, she didn't, anyway, she let me come do it on my own. But the point is that, um, yeah, you need somebody who's not in love with your idea, who's, who's not gonna be afraid, who has no incentive to, to see it go through. Uh, because it's just so easy to convince ourselves that it's gonna be, that it's a home run. Um, 
I, I remember some clients were in our office once and they'd bought a condo by the beach and I think the phrase they used was, you know, you never lose money with a beach condo. <laughs> and they had to sell it, you know, at a loss in 2009, you know, <laughs> because they'd bought it in like 2007 and it was just, you know, unfortunately they, we learned about it after the fact and couldn't really do anything. At least, you know, they might still have done it, but at least we could have said, look, you have to consider X, Y, and Z. So talking to somebody who's, gonna, who's not afraid to tell you, you might just be wrong. And this is what it means if you're wrong to you know, the rest of your life. Can I ask you something? You said pay advisors for what exactly are you like talking about? Pay, pay for, experts. Yeah, pay, pay experts. Pay experts. So for, everybody in this room is you know, an expert at something. If you... So for me, I look at it and I, I, again, I'm very pointed to purpose. What is important to you at this point in time? This is, you know, for me, something that I found to be personally true. Um, but the number and, and statistically, it seems the science seems to really back this up on it. You know, they say something as simple as writing down a goal. Uh, will make you upwards of 40% more likely to accomplish that. Read that just recently uh, to plug a book, The One Thing. Uh, really good book. <laughs> it is. Uh, so it, 40%, I think it was 41 uh, to be exact in the particular study they were talking about. That's just writing it down, right? One of the keys in the lifestyle strategy that I talk about, it's the very last one. Once you form this plan, step number seven, the final one is accountability. And accountability to me is the biggest indicator about whether or not you're going to be successful. Now, that doesn't mean you have to pay somebody to do it. But if you're really serious about it, nobody's going to hold you accountable to something better than somebody you're paying because that's literally their job. So if I, you know, I've, I've, I've had two cookies, I'm feeling a little guilty about wanting a third with some of the stuff you guys have said tonight, but I'm probably going to do it anyway. They're so good. Um, but if I want to seriously get back in shape, I know how unmotivated I am right now. I know how tough it's been. I'm tired. I've got twins that are young, that are born, that are not letting me sleep at night. It's tough. But if it's really that important to me, I can try to do it by myself and I might get some results. But if I want to go swim in Ironman in two years, I better call Sherman. And I better say, dude, whoop my ass into shape. Because to me, that accountability is, is just scientifically proven. For me, it's personally proven to get you results faster and better than if you were just to do it by yourself. And again, you don't have to pay somebody to do that. If you have a really co close friend or if you have a spouse that's really great at that stuff, mm. that's all good. But even then, I would say, yeah, I was gonna say as a spouse, <laughs> they give great advice that we don't like to listen to. And yeah. it works both ways. Cause it's the voice we always hear, yeah, right? No one is a prophet in their own country. Yeah, there <laughs> it is, I love it. So, so that's just me personally. I believe strongly in paying for advice uh, paying for accountability, paying for expertise in areas. And I, I, I just, I don't see how that would hurt people. I'm a big advocate for bartering services too. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If, it, if there's ever a chance to barter. Oh, absolutely. Keep the taxes out of it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you meant like, prof like professional money professionals, not necessarily financial advisors. Oh, like, sorry. Joe can hear you. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's okay. No, I mean, like, I mean, there's not enough financial advisors for all the people in the United States. You know, so we live in an area, an era of like wonderful democratization of financial resources. So there are 
some really excellent services that are, they sometimes get called robo-advisors. I like to call them robo-allocators because it's a little bit different than, mm-hmm. than a human advisor like might be. Like Betterment, but, you mean? Yeah, Betterment. betterment uh, yeah, if, okay. if you want to efficiently and at a very low cost allocate your investments and set it and forget it, then there's really no reason why you can't you know, do that for, for very little cost. I think you know, your point about accountability is where working with a human in whatever form, a financial coach, uh, financial advisor, certainly as it relates to fitness, um, you know, that there, there's a, at least for now, I don't think there is a, a mechanical component that can replace that. But there's a lot of different ways people can access that, you know, that resource. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I'm like the most passionate about in terms of like getting people to start investing and understanding their money is, um, there are people who are like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to learn anything about this. I don't want, I don't care. I don't want to just do it for me. And that's it. Um, and while, uh, every part of me is like, no, learn, <laughs> don't just pay someone to do it. Um, there's a, I think a, there's a loss in, in communication or translation in that they hand it off to someone, but they don't actually realize like everything that they're paying. And uh, so I, in that regard, I'm like, Hey, you, you can completely outsource this, but just like understand fully what you're paying for. Because I feel like a lot of people say like, oh, it's just a 1% fee. And your brain is like, oh, 1% out of 100. No, it's 1% out of your growth, which mm-hmm. is somewhere around like 6 to 8% of like what the market returns. So that is a significant cost for something that you can learn to do on your own and can follow like, a pretty, like if you invest in an index fund, like you're you're going to grow at that pace um, for years. Like just traditionally, that's what the market has told us. So I don't know. I think that that's one of those things where I'm like, hey, let's be transparent in the in the finance space of like, yes, you can do this, but know that this is what it's going to cost you. Because I feel like right now people are choosing these routes and they don't really know what they're paying for. And then later they realize like, oh. I well, I'll tell you, we have conversations where I know we, we talked about fees and expenses when we started a relationship and it'll be a few years later and someone will say, tell me again, how, how, how do you, how do we pay you? <laughs> and I'm, I'm always a little shocked by it, but I'm really glad they ask. And so to anybody who has a relationship with a financial advisor, if you don't know how they're being paid, you should ask and you should feel comfortable asking that question Agreed. at any point. And there are a lot of different ways you can pay an advisor. There are advisors who, who charge a flat fee and provide certain services. There are advisors who charge an hourly fee. There are advisors who charge based on the assets that they're managing or some combination of those depending on the specific service. Um, The advice you get should not be contingent on the purchase of a product. Uh, You should know, it should not be one of those, and this is something I feel strongly about, it shouldn't be, hey, open an account with me and then I'll do a financial plan for you. That's like going into the doctor's office and they give you a prescription and then they say, what's wrong with you? Or what do you want to accomplish? That's the old way. It still happens a lot. Uh, you know, there, there is a, a better way and you know, it should fit your needs. You should, the medicine should fit the, financial products are medicine. And there are some products that only really apply to a very limited group of people who have that specific need. And if you don't, again, if you don't know what you're paying, you, you should definitely find out. Now there are people who in spite of all the education and all the knowledge and all the resources, they might start out in that index fund and then they hear about Tesla and they hear Tesla's about to hit $500 a share. 
or $2,000 a share, and they think, I've got to buy this stock before it splits in this you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and then two days later, it hits $330. It loses 30% or something like that. That happened to you too? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then what do they sometimes do? They sell it because yeah. they think, oh, it was the wrong time, and then it goes back up to 430 a week later. Now, maybe they, you know, hopefully, if they were using an advisor, and that advisor might have helped them make a different choice. And so the cost of using that advisor may have been more than made up for in the, in the bad choices they don't make. You know, the term they use is a counterfactual. I, I can't prove that, you know, what's the, no, I, anyway, point is it's hard to prove you can't that prove that you save them money in that situation. Right, right. You know, because do I know if they would have made that bad choice? No. But there are cases but and people who need that. Let's say this. The the stock market is, and Warren Buffett, the greatest investor of all time, said this. The stock market is not built for people who are emotional. If you If you cannot... If you want to monitor your money, you want to do your own trading, you better not be emotional about it. You better not check it very often because yeah. it is a roller coaster ride watching your account balance go up and down and up and down and up and down. that's not what it's it's not what it's there for. Don't do that, okay? Don't try to day trade, don't try to get tricky. So, you know, to originally what you were talking about, Andrea, I don't think that paying investors if you're just like listen I just I don't want to have to learn this stuff I just want to pay somebody to do it I do think that's not a bad thing but I do think just like anything else you should understand you know what he's saying that you should get paid or, or how they're getting paid right because they're not all created equal they may be taking two percent and that's if you just go online and plug it in in a calculator, like you said, two percent on gains. What that does to you doesn't sound like a lot, because what the difference between one percent and the difference between two percent is not one percent. That's a hundred percent. So that number is huge over time when you look at this for like a retirement account for forty to fifty years. So people out there, if you are looking for an advisor if you just want to forget about all of it and pay somebody else to do it, that's fine. But you have to research, just have the conversation with them about how they're getting paid. And if they're not upfront about it, I'd go, there you go. Don't do it. (laughs) It should be a very simple conversation, just like anybody else. I'm glad that this part of it got brought up because I, I'm thinking about the, the debt conversation from earlier. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that however long it took them to get out of debt, they need to attribute some amount of time to get themselves out. But I think we all kind of look for a, a get rich quick scheme. I mean, I think it's in our DNA. It's like you want to get out as fast as possible. And I I have a three hour daily commute that I, I will say I only fantasize about this. I haven't actually put where it's like I sit, I sit there and think about, man, if I made this uh, instead of instead of putting this uh, discretionary income toward this credit card payment, what if I put it into a penny stock and it like 7X, <laughs> at 10X or something? And now we have things like Robinhood in our hands where it's, it's empowering people that maybe don't have the education to make the decisions with their money that they're making. Mm-hmm. Especially if you open that account in April. Yeah. And everyone is a genius <laughs> May, from April to right now. May 1st, you know? thanks Colin. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. I mean, I, I got, I got Robinhood, like, I bought a share of Zoom. Your master trader for one hundred thirty for one hundred thirty dollars. Yeah. It's so easy. I sold it at one seventy six and felt great, and now it's like four hundred bucks. <laughs> like Zoom is definitely, but I was like, when all this pandemic stuff happened, I was like, oh, everybody's going to be using Zoom. I'm going to go buy some Zoom stock. 
Robin Hood download. Boop. Right. <laughs> well, there's, that, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. That's just, first. I feel like the biggest myth is the buy low, sell high. It's like buy and hold until you retire. Um, and like, yes, there are opportunities for you to like sell and there's certain um, times to do that. But I think that people think about investing and they think about the scene where we see on movies where it's Wall Street and they're all like frantic and they're buying low and they're so that's what they think about when it's really like you buy into a fund every month at the same time regardless of what's happening your dollar cost averaging and then your money will grow over decades not a couple of months like can you make 40 bucks yeah sure but that's not like a real investment strategy. A real investment strategy is going to take you decades and you're gonna come out with seven to eight rate of return from the market. So I think that's a big like thing to shift in people. It's not buy low, sell high, it's buy and hold until you're cashing out later. The idea you talked about process, a structure, being systematic, you know, it's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. If you're not planting those seeds on a consistent basis and a habitual basis. And that's where people are successful is then when you get that raise, then hopefully you've programmed into your process, I'm gonna put a little bit more of that away. So yeah, maybe you are able to spend a little bit more, have a little more fun. You're also increasing your investment, but you have to have started that habit to improve on it. And speaking of the harvest, just real quick, guess what, it takes a long time for that grain to grow, but it takes seconds for it to burn. The market goes up gradually over time, over a long period of time, but guess what? When it drops, it drops hard and it drops fast. And that's when people freak out and that's when people lose a lot of money. Just throwing that out there. How can um, how can employers do a better job of teaching their, their teams? Uh, well, you know, something that I'm constantly fascinated about, like we have team members, for example, who uh, qualify for like a simple IRA. Like it's a three percent match. Like it's free money for them. They just kind of. Like, I mean, they're not getting it right now, right? It's like putting it away for later, and and they won't they won't do it. It's like I don't know if it's the instant gratification thing. It's like they they want it now, like here right now. Um, and I don't know if it's more of like maybe we're not doing a good job. I'm not doing a good enough job of educating them on it. Like like, do you understand that? There, there's that, a little bit of a generational thing if you think about. Uh, you know, our youngest workers were young in 2008, 2009. Big crash for the market. You know, now you're dealing with COVID and all the resulting issues. So, you know, there there are some, there's a, a natural skepticism, not to mention mm-hmm. that you have in some quarters right now, uh, uh, victimization or vitriol towards, you know, the wealthy, uh, a lot of whom, you know, so the market right now, a lot of it is made about how the markets hit new highs, and that means people like Bezos are richer than ever. But most of us have some exposure to the market through our 401ks or other accounts or something. So, you know, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. And But right now it's unfashionable to be uh, in favor of that kind of wealth. And, and I, I mean, I don't, does Jeff Bezos need as much money as he has? No, I mean, but... But ultimately, it's I mean, his. It's his, yeah. right? And he took a tremendous risk. And uh, a lot of people are making money, you know, maybe not directly owning Amazon stock, but because they own it in their S&P 500 index fund or something like that. So, you know, they're, they're, we're not getting a lot of cheerleading 
from where we need it politically or otherwise about the power of capital markets and the ability of regular Americans to participate in the growth of our economy over time through investing. So that, that message has not been taught very well. And so there's a skepticism because I think Wall Street's out to screw me over. Mm. And that's, that's really unfortunate. And you know, I mean, you're definitely right. It's definitely not taught. Like it's not taught in school. Not at all. I mean, unless they just recently started doing it. But I, know like, I, mit- ne- I never learned about investing in college or. Mm-hmm. High I know school. what the mitochondria of a cell can do. <laughs> <The power health>. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a big difference between an, quiz him on it. an Andrea's <laughs> example of somebody that's you know uh, may, maybe they've graduated with debt and they're entering the the, the workforce with a thirty five thousand dollars salary and committing three percent to a match. Like doesn't make sense at the moment. Yeah, a thousand bucks out of your thirty five thousand dollars salary. They need to pay the debt. You know, first. but like if you're making $50,000 a year, you might be able to part with that 3% a lot more readily or That's you can true. justify it. So I think a lot of that has to depend on it. And if you're a startup and you're trying to offer benefits, it's something that you have to consider. How much are you paying your employees in the first place? You know, like they would much rather be paid more than the point where the benefits start to make sense. I think, you know what I mean? It's just like, I think sometimes employers see that as a, I want to invest, uh, like I want to invest into them by having them invest their money into something that's long term. But if they have to part with a thousand dollars and they're only making thirty five thousand dollars a year and they're struggling to get by, they're not concerned about what retirement looks like in, in that moment. But uh, let me say this: I and I'm going to make this a blanket statement, which is really dangerous. I know, <laughs> okay, but I feel pretty confident in this. Um, I don't think there's a person that lives in the United States of America that can't put three uh, percent into an IRA. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I was going to say. I, I agree. I was like, if they won't do it when they make 35, they're not going to do it when they make 55. Mm. Yep. Right? You got to get used to, like, behavior. I mean, these this money stuff is all about behaviors. Like Joe was talking about, you got to get in the habit of habitually doing this stuff over and over. So, yeah, like, you're 35, you got to put a thousand bucks. Like, yeah, it may kind of suck, but it's not really going to suck any less when you make 55, right? It's still mm-hmm. 3%, a little bit more. So, um, you just have to do it. You just got to. You just have to do it and let it go. And definitely, what Andrew is saying. So many people, day traders. <laughs> like let's like, not no. even. Like let's not even. Look, if I had a dollar for every time I was at a soccer game or Sun Country, and someone says, "Oh, what do you do?" And I'm a financial advisor. Oh yeah, I used to trade stocks, and, oh. and it always ends the same way. You know, like I had a system, and then I. Anyway, exactly. <laughs> let, let, let me let me back up my point here. Okay, I just whipped out the calculator, so it's about to get dangerous. Okay, <laughs> all right. Let's say that on your drive to work every day, you buy a five dollar guilty item. Okay, that could be a Starbucks coffee, that could be chips and a Pepsi, two a Halo gas potato station, donuts, Halo potato donuts. That's probably <laughs> so worth it, though. though. Let's just put it that way. But the point, <laughs> but the point, the point is. whatever your guilty pleasure is, you pick it up on the way to work every day or you get it on the way back, whatever the case is. That $5 times five a week is $25 a week on your little guilty item that you get, okay? We're gonna do that times four times a month, or I'm sorry, uh, four weeks out of the month, Mm -hmm. right? So that's $100 a month on whatever that guilty item is. Uh Uh-oh, well now if we do that over a year, 12 months, that's $1,200. So if I like Pepsi and Coke, it once a day, there's my 3%. You know what I mean? So like I said, 
I don't think that there's any, I'll, I'll double down on it. I don't think there's anybody in America that can't afford 3%. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but over time that will hurt you. That's tens of thousands of dollars that you're giving up on Pepsi and Coke. And those are facts, folks. Math so, <laughs> don't I lie. I want to like jump in. Like, I understand what you're saying, that there's the majority of people in America are, can cut $1,000 from their $35,000 tag, but there's people that are making $19,000. Mm-hmm. And that's like a level of like, hey, that that $1,000 really does affect them. At, this, at that point, point like do they have a simple RA where they have a match like that's probably a whole different conversation right they probably don't just even to like include like yes I get your blanket statement so but when we're talking about this totally different scenario than this um for that I would say um if you have a match that's like immediately you're a 100 percenting your return right like here's my five dollars another five dollars great if you can if you really if you can make it work which if you're making that much it really depends on your circumstances your you know what you have going on some people are supporting a family um with that 35 so it really i i feel like the latte example sometimes is almost like uh this doesn't really apply to everyone i don't really even know people who buy five dollar lattes every single day of the week so there's plenty they, yeah, they exist <laughs> not that's, they, that's why i said yeah, Pepsi I, and Coke. I, I used yeah. to i used to do that all, like every day on my they way exist, it was a routine i don't know like I, I don't i feel like sometimes that advice is like wait but we're totally missing we're talking to one person so if you are that person yes you can make it work invest if you're not that person um you know that's a whole other conversation but since we are talking about that, um, I definitely am like, okay, if you can make it work, that that's free money, you know? And the reason why so many people um, invest in their 401k is because it's a default. With the simple IRA, you have to actually opt in, which is like, Right, well, I think, I mean, ultimately, like a, a broader point, I guess, if you will, is n- not enough people are saving for retirement. I think a lot of people, right, like whether they weren't taught, you know, I kind of like hear Joe's story. I'm like, that's very similar to my story. Like my dad like showed me compounding interest and said, yo, if you did this, like as soon as you were out of school, if you did this every month, you'll be a millionaire no matter what happens, as long as you put this money in. Mm -hmm. And I'll be a millionaire. (laughs) Like I've been very disciplined in that. Now I would say that I've, you know, through my financial literacy and some of the education, like I've now put some of that on pause, right? Because I'm like, okay, now I've learned this thing, I need to go pay off this debt. So I got it on pause and I'm not necessarily investing into retirement at the moment, right? But I'm gonna, and you know, and I'm gonna get that going back again. But I just know even even just watching that money that's there, you know, go up and down and grow over time. I mean, well, as an like, employer, you you could decide rather than matching to make a non-elective contribution. That's with a simpler four hundred one k, where you would just say, I'm gonna put in two percent regardless of what you put in because I think this is that important. Mm. And so in that way, it's you're you're demonstrating that that you believe in this for them. Maybe they then see the growth. And that motivates them. Uh, you know, there are sometimes reason why reasons why that can be a good approach. Anyway, from a for other more so in a four hundred one k, that's a little more technical. But anyway, that's yeah. a, that's an option you have too. Yeah, I just think. I mean, in general, I just want more people to get that education and understand that they need to be saving for retirement. Because I think when I listen to other podcasts, no matter like whatever show it is, that's a very common theme. Is that we I hear fifty year olds who have no money. Like mm-hmm. they're planning on retiring, you know, in, in ten years alone. or whatever. Yeah, yeah and like mm-hmm. they're not gonna have any money, and 
it's it's just mind-boggling to me well that's part of something along those lines too that, that a lot of people make the mistake of taking social security too early and you give up a lot of of guaranteed money i, I i'm a belie- the belief social security is going to still be around in you know for people like us you know really yeah, yeah you know oh, okay that's good lot- to hear i'm not counting yeah. on it <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of things the government can do to increase its lifespan so for example they might say to folks our age and younger my age and younger you know uh you got to work till 70 to get the full benefit instead of 67 that adds decades to the lifespan of social security but too many people rely on it for it to ever go away but it's more and more of it's going to be consumed by medicare expenses and other things that you don't have any control over so you're absolutely right whenever i talk to young people i always say you are you are in it alone your employer is probably not going to have a pension for you Social security will not be enough. If you don't save, you are, you're not going to have enough of what you need. Yeah. Nobody's coming to save you. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's amazing to me how quickly, like uh, almost two hours goes by (laughs) just getting into these topics. Uh, I have some other questions, but I feel like they would be super fast questions. So I'm going to save them for the side hustle. Um, So anybody who's listening, like definitely check out the side hustle too. And they'll be a little, a little bit rapid fire. But before we wrap this show up, I wanted to go around and let everybody just, just tell everybody where they can connect with you, where they can like hear your podcast or, you know, find you online, whatever. Uh, yeah, since you're looking at me, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> so the podcast is the Stephen Corson Show. It's available pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. Um, Apple, Spotify, now Amazon. Amazon just came out and mm-hmm. I put that out there. Uh, the website is everything.money. That's it. No .com or anything like that. Just everything.money. Uh, you can go check it out there. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on Instagram. Send me a DM. Uh, Instagram is just Stephen.Corson. You know, punch it in. I'm right there. Stephen with a PH. That's really important. Um, <laughs> Stevens with V's are just posers. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're LowryFinancialAdvisors.com. L-O-W-R-Y FinancialAdvisors.com or on Twitter. J. Lowry Jr., J-L-O-W-R-Y-J-R, or Lowry Financial. Um, no no podcast. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Come Facebook, back to ours anytime. Lowry Financial, yeah. <laughs> Give cool, us a call. Man. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just find Sherman Merricks first, and then I'll get you connected to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Sherman Merricks. Uh, there's not a lot of Sherman Merricks out there. You're not too hard to find. Exactly. Yeah, he's not too hard to find. Just do a search for him. Yeah. But putting out lots and lots of great content. And you just, uh, I just saw a release of the podcast about, I think it was about tithing while in bed oh, yeah, or something. Was, yeah. So. And then I just came from that podcast with Did Story you? Brand. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was, yeah, that was. Sherman was on the Story Brand com- yeah. podcast. Yeah, that was big. That was cool up in Nashville, huh? Yeah. Yep. Cool, man. Andrea. Uh, you can find me at, on Instagram, just Instagram. It's at building.gen.wealth. And oh. we talk about money and money <laughs> tips and all of the fun things. Awesome. Well, you guys, this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, definitely uh, one of those things that is never going to go away. <laughs> Talking about money, right? Uh, did you have any final thoughts for us, Michael, before we wrapped it up? I mean, I, the the reality is, I could probably go on for another hour. I, I look through things. I look through things from a a different kind of lens, mainly thinking about like you know, like I, I 
I lead I lead young group. Uh, like most of our work staff here at New Scooters for Less is in the 18 to 22 year old range. We talk on this podcast a lot about keeping that talent here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes it's a, a trade off between do they work for the startup here in Gainesville that maybe can't afford to pay them. Um, but maybe there's a high ceiling or they're really passionate about what they're doing versus going to you know a bigger city and taking that corporate type job, especially if they're in debt. So I, I look at things through those lenses, but I also didn't want to like hijack the whole podcast, you know, because there's a lot of, I mean, the, the breadth of things to talk about here is, is so wide, so. Yeah. Um, Maybe some maybe some side side pieces or some off off mic conversations to be had, but yeah. but it was a lot of fun for sure. A lot of uh, stuff to take home. It's another one of those podcasts that I can't wait for it to release so I can listen to myself and go back and take notes and that kind of thing. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Well, you guys, thanks again for so much for coming on the show and uh, everybody who's listening. Definitely like drop us a note. Let us know what you thought. Let us know. Let us know if you have any of your own money tips out there. You know, I'm I'm really into this right now. <laughs> I I even sold all my stock that I had in Robinhood just to like I'm like you know okay I gotta I gotta do I gotta like focus I gotta like zero I gotta zero in on this debt. What am I doing? Playing with gambling with this money over here while I'm like trying to get out of debt. So let me zero in. But uh, sometimes paying off debt is the best investment. You you can make absolutely absolutely and i think like getting into those steps uh, you know i know we mentioned some of the stuff like dave dave ramsey has a huge financial podcast and he has these baby steps and if you just google dave ramsey baby steps that'll like get you to kind of what we were discussing earlier um if you want to know what that is because sometimes i fear we just get on a show and start talking about these things and people are like what is that i've never heard of that before um but if you google it Google so great for that. Um, you will definitely find it. And um, listen, podcast fam, please connect with the sponsors and everybody who makes this show happen. We absolutely can't do it without them. Um, if you go to whoagnv.com and click sponsorships, you will get links to all of the people who uh, make this show happen. And we're super grateful for them and super grateful for you for listening. Please share this episode with somebody who you know needs it. We will see you later. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast for you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. whoa. We will see you later. Bye.